0: Acts chapter 17, and we'll read the first half of the chapter up to verse 15 together. And so if my reckoning's right, this is about 45 AD, and these things happen. Historical events taking place. Acts 17, and reading from verse 1. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus, whom I preach unto you, is Christ. And some of them believed and consorted with Paul and Silas, and of the devout Greeks, a great multitude, and of the chief women, not a few. But the Jews, which believed not, moved with envy, took unto them certain lewd fellows of the basest sort, and gathered a company, and set all the city on an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. And when they found them not... They drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying, These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also, whom Jason hath received, and these all do contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, one Jesus. And they troubled the people and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. And when they had taken security of Jason and of the other, they let them go. And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness of mind and searched the Scriptures daily whether those things were so. Therefore many of them believed, also of honourable women which were Greeks, and of men not a few. But when the Jews of Thessalonica had knowledge that the word of God was preached of Paul at Berea, they came thither also and stirred up the people. And then immediately the brethren sent away Paul to go, as it were, to the sea. But Silas and Timotheus abode there still. Amen. And may it please, Lord, to bless the reading of his word to us. And the text for the, read, for the preaching this morning is taken from verses 10 to 13. Verses 10 to 13. We'll read those once again. And the brethren immediately sent away Paul and Silas by night unto Berea, who coming thither went into the synagogue of the Jews. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica, In that they received the word with all readiness of mind, and searched the Scriptures daily, whether those things were so. Therefore many of them believed, also of honourable women, which were Greeks, and of men, not a few. But when the Jews of Thessalonica had knowledge that the word of God was preached of Paul at Berea, they came thither also and stirred up the people. Amen. Let us pray. Our merciful, gracious, loving God. We thank Thee for Thy Word that we've had in our hearing. Simple words, a simple historical account of these things that have happened. Here is no difficult and deep doctrine and theology as described by Thy servant Paul. Lord, we can all understand something of what has taken place here. And so therefore we have no excuse but to receive the word of God. And will thou help us, O Lord, to do so? To hear and obey, for there is no other way to be happy in Jesus. Will thou help, O God, even me? Lord as thy servant to preach the word, to preach thy word. And, Lord, that it may please Thee to grant Thy Spirit even unto me, that the Word may go forth with His power to enter in. Lord, that we we know something of that conviction and that conversion and that restoration and that reviving work of the Spirit of God that our worship may be found acceptable in Thy sight. Here Thou was, O Lord, For we pray in the name of the glorious Saviour, the one sent from heaven, the one who died and who lives forever. We pray in his name. Amen. I commence with a, a quote from a book. It was the best of times... It was the worst of times. It was the age of wisdom. It was the age of foolishness. It was the epoch of belief. It was the epoch of incredulity. It was the season of light. It was the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope. It was the winter of despair. Those lines are the opening lines from the novel *A Tale of Two Cities, written by Charles Dickens. And the reason why I would quote it, and it's Almost never that I would quote anything that's not of the Scriptures, or about the Scriptures, or from the Scriptures. It's just the great contrast you have here. The contrast of any It was the best of times, it was the worst of times. There was dark, there was light, there was faith, there was incredulity. There were all these things, these, these great contrasts. And, and the contrast goes further, because in that novel, there are two cities. And the contrast is there. We have the city of London, we have the city of Paris. Paris is... is um, is drowning in a bath of blood in the, in the French Revolution, you know, the first move of the Marxists in Europe, proto-Marxists, we could say. And so there is great upheaval. But also London. London feared the Crown and the Parliament. They feared a bloody revolution there, as, it, as, it, as did most of Europe. So London feared a bloody revolution, but wasn't having one. Paris had one, and that was spreading throughout the nation. And so two cities with with different experiences, different attitudes, different problems, and yet they're contrasted here at the very beginning of that book. And and in our text also, we also have two cities. We have the the, the city of Thessalonica and, and the city of Berea. Two cities that are still there, just their pronunciation's a bit different. Uh, Thessaloniki and Veroia, but the same cities, they're still there where they are, and they're in the area called Macedonia, if you know anything, it's a very northern, northern eastern uh, province of, of Greece, not far from Philippi, Well, we know that city uh, founded uh, by the father of Alexander the Great. And Berea and, and uh, Thessalonica are only 40 miles apart so they're, they're very close to each other, and yet very different. And so we could say and, and take our cue from what Charles Dickens has said, a tale of two cities, but in reality it's the tale of two synagogues. It's the tale of two congregations. It's the tale of, of, of the different peoples and the different attitudes that we see here. And, and one of them, and only one of them, is declared to be noble. And in contrast with the other, Berea is noble. But Thessalonica is not. It's insinuated, therefore, to be the opposite of noble, which is the word ignoble, but nobody uses that word. So dishonorable, dishonorable, honorable and dishonorable. Two types of believer, therefore, shown. It's not a complete picture of both congregations, but but more or less, more and less. Two types of believer that we see. Shown to us in this chapter. The Thessalonians have their whole, even though there were believers amongst them, even though there were a few that did receive the word, but the majority of them are are, are, are not honoured in the scriptures. Now, did everybody believe under the preaching in Berea? No, and yet the majority of them received the word and many believed, and they are called noble. So the question is, maybe going out to yourselves, what, what type of Christian are you? You could say, are you a Berean or are you a Thessalonian? I'll maybe mean, just round it off. Are you a noble Christian? Are you a noble Christian? Is the nobility in your, in your Christianity not according to your measure, because we can, always, we can always pander to ourselves and we can always exalt ourselves, but according to the Scriptures, according to the Scriptures of truth, are you a noble Christian? And it's a very important doctrine. It's one of the, one of the doctrines that we are to be a good Berean, that the first minister of this congregation preached on. And made very clear that you are, this is the Reverend Whiteside, exhorting the the, 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 the early congregation, the first congregation of this church, to be good Bereans. To be good Bereans. In, in, in in, in, In an attitude that they have towards God's Word, towards God's servant, and towards God's people, as we see here in these verses. And that's what we are to be. And I'm glad I can stand upon a foundation that has been laid by another minister. And to go forward uh, with that, it is a primary doctrine of this congregation. And it should be of every congregation. For we should all seek to be noble, as, as declared and as affirmed and as confirmed by God. To be noble in the sight of Almighty God. So firstly, then, as I mentioned, their attitude towards God's Word. We see that in verse 11 of chapter 17. verse 11 says, these were more noble than in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness of mind, and searched the scriptures daily, whether those things were so. So there are a few things that we see here. We see the receiving of the word, firstly, which makes them more noble than the Thessalonians. When that word of God was preached to the Bereans, the people in the city of Berea, what does it say? It says they immediately received it. They took it. They received it. And they received it because their attitude was right. Their attitude towards the preached word was correct. And belief is not only a question of salvation, it is a receiving of the Word of God, it is a receiving of the servant of God with the correct attitude. So without cynicism, without bitterness, without anything that would come between you and the Word of God, because we can throw up the shutters of all sorts of attitudes and memories and bad experiences and cynicism, and then the Word does not enter in, it does us... No good. It makes us ignoble, uh, dishonorable in our relationship to the Word of God. And that should not be so. That is, uh, that is, I would say, is a sinning against yourself at least. Certainly a sinning against God. And so if you are, if you sit there and, and you do not receive it, why would you not receive it? Because you maybe sit in judgment of the Word, uh, of the Word preached. And then the attitude is unhealthy. You are to receive the preached ministry, or to receive it without contradiction. Here we see them that they receive it, in that they receive the word with all readiness of mind. They came, as we could say, with a spiritual hunger. There was a spiritual hunger, there was a, there was a, a right, noble, spiritual mind to the word of God. God is speaking to me and I will receive it. Now, I can say this, the mercy of God towards that church in Thessalonica, we see in the two letters that Paul sent there, and that the Lord was long-suffering toward them. And it may be not that the synagogue itself was was restored to true belief, but that that a new church was separately set up, that's not clear from the Scriptures. But in any case, what we hear then is that there is a very good attitude, a Berean attitude is instilled in the believers of the Thessalonian church at some point in the future hence. And Paul writes this in First Thessalonians, chapter 2 verse 13. He says, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, But as it is in truth the word of God which effectively worketh also in you that believe. So thank God that they became Bereans. As it were, they became noble Thessalonians. Because they received the word of God and didn't just receive it as man's word, but they feared it. They believed it. This is God speaking to me. And so if you are, If you do truly believe that this is the Word of God, then then you are not to judge the Word. You're not to edit the Word. You're not to pick and choose the Word. But you're allowed not to judge the Word, but you're allowed to, to allow the Word to judge you. You're to allow the Word to judge you and sift you and change you. Receive it because it is The Lord's Word. So the receiving of the Word is part of this noble character of these Berean believers, receiving it with a correct, godly, humble attitude of mind. It's God's Word, and I will hear it and I will obey it. But secondly, we see them researching the Word. Researching the Word. There are some people that would, that their spirituality consists of attending church maybe just once on the Lord's Day, and that's it, and they go home, and that's it, that's the rest of their week, is nothing, there's no, there's no searching the Scriptures, there's no considering the sermon that's being preached, that God's word to you this morning, or in the evening, say. And they're not taking it to heart, not saying, what has the Lord said to me? Not what I want the Lord to say to me. What I think should have been preached, but what was preached, what what did the Lord say to me, and what am I to do about it, because I have a responsibility toward it. And what we see with the Bereans, the noble Bereans, high-born, excellent, honourable, all all those meanings of that word uh, that's translated as noble. Receiving the word, but researching the word. They've had the correct attitude to receive it, and then they've taken it home. They're doing due theological and scriptural diligence, we might want to say. They're taking their responsibilities, believers. God has spoken to me, let me understand it more. And and it's not, well, they're saying they checked the scriptures afterwards. But why did they do so? Because they didn't believe Paul? Because they were cynical? Because they were suspicious? No, that's that's not there at all. That's not part of the noble character. They received it. And then they researched it to confirm the word of God that was preached to them, to understand it better. And he said this, is that so? Again, but the mind is not the cynical mind. He says, is that so? Well, let me research it and see, is that so? Oh, it is so. And then you can read it, and it's confirmed here, it's opened up here, and let's go to the scriptures that, 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 that the minister, in this case, that, that Paul, was, uh, the apostle, was preaching. Let us go and understand it even more. And you know what happens then? It means that they get a second sermon preached to them. The same sermon preach to their heart once again. They spend that due diligence. And it may be that, that, that when Paul was preaching and maybe when you hear the preaching there are things you don't understand. And so it's good to go back into the Word. It's good if you're a note-taker or you've got a fantastic memory, you don't need to take notes, but notes are good. Note, notes, notes are a very good way of, of hearing the Word and then being able to research it afterwards. But having had that word, then you research it, and then you try to understand it more. And those things that you didn't understand, you can then understand. And if you're still, at the end of your own research and, and asking questions, then you can come to the minister or go to your bookshelf and try to find the answer. But what it means is those questions that were left hanging have been answered. But also the word and the doctrine and the glories uh, that are revealed in the Scriptures have been re-impressed upon your heart. In a very good way. And so you are to be Bible students. So a good student listens to the Word, studies the Word. Needs to be teachable. If you think of a student at school, if the, if the teacher is, is teaching something and, and making something very clear to them and they're not listening, they're being distracted, well, they're not writing the notes, they're not following the lesson, and it comes to the time of exams, it's not a revision, but actually it's a studying for the first time. And it's too late in that way. It, 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 to, to, to layer and layer uh, layers of truth uh, or knowledge, in this case, to, to get into the head... it's it's been wasted. It goes in one ear, it goes out the other. So we're to be students, but we're there also to be teachable. That the Word would be taught to you, that you would allow yourself to be taught, which is a humble frame of mind and a noble frame of mind. A humble, because we're saying it's the Word of God. You know, it's not the height and the shape of the pulpit, it's not the, the excellence of the man in the pulpit, it is the Word of God. Ultimately, it comes down to your attitude to the Word of God. Everything else, I would say this, is an excuse. Is an excuse. We are to receive the Word. We are to research the Word. Thirdly, we see with the Thessalonians, though, the rejecting of the Word. And here's the great contrast. They begin with that great contrast. These were more noble than those in Thessalonica. The Thessalonians rejected the Word. Not all of them. But on Mass they did. In general they did. Because the Thessalonians heard some glorious gospel truth. If you turn to verse 3 of Acts 17, the same chapter, we hear something, and we read it. We hear something of what, of what uh, the ministry of Paul was, spread over three Lord's days, three Jewish uh, Sabbaths. And it says he, he opened. And he alleged. So he had the word and he opened it up. He preached from the word and alleged. That was the, the thrust of his message. The main point of these sermons was that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead. So there's those two uh, doctrines, that he, it was necessary in the gospel that the Messiah must suffer and it was necessary that he rose again from the dead. So he had to suffer and die for our sins and he had to be raised again from the dead for many reasons, but the most important one we could say is to prove that the payment for sin had been accepted in heaven. And so that's the gospel that they heard, spread over three Jewish Sabbaths. And of course, what it says, whom I preach unto you, and that Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. I mean, to the the Jewish ear, he's saying Messiah. This is the uh, long-promised and long-awaited Messiah is this Jesus, this Jesus of Nazareth. And they heard that, they understood that, they had some context of that. Now, the word was believed by a few Jews it was believed uh, by some more of the Gentile, Greek as the use the word, it just means Gentile, uh, proselytes, those who had joined themselves, uh, had come out of paganism in some way, had joined themselves to the, to the Jewish faith uh, already before they'd heard the gospel. But a large number of the congregation and a large number of the Jews, therefore, also rejected it and that's what we read in verse 5. But the Jews which believed not moved with envy. This is a strange word. Moved with envy. They were envious against Paul because of the preaching. They, had, they were envious. It was a rejection that came out of their very emotions. And their emotions rejected him and rejected the word of God. And then we read what they did. They took unto them certain lewd fellows of the baser sort. You could say they went out into the back alleys and picked up the ruffians, gathered a company and set all the city on an uproar, and assaulted the house of Jason and sought to bring them out to the people. You know, there are many different ways to describe what these majority of the Thessalonian believers. Uh, what, 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 how what their reaction was, and we have that word envy. But what is that? What is that envy? Well, I could say that large, an awful large proportion of them were Pharisaical. They were like Pharisees. Maybe they were of the sect of the Pharisees, but they were Pharisaical because they were legalistic. And they were envious of what they heard because Paul preached what? He, Paul, he preached free grace. He preached the grace of God to be found in the giving of Jesus. And then you repenting of your sin and and believing on Jesus. All of grace, you've done nothing to earn it. And yet the pharisaical, legalistic heart says, but what about all that I've done? What about me and my work? My abilities and my history and all these things I've done for the church and all these things that I I could yet do for the church. And, And Paul's preaching is it's nothing. In fact, it's worse than nothing. It's, it's, it's the filthy rags of self-righteousness. And so the legalistic heart rejected it. What about the Romish heart? And so, well, isn't that a bit out of time, the Romish heart? No, it's the same attitude as Rome. Rome is what? Rome sets up man's tradition, man's ideas above the Word of God. That's not what they say, but it's what they do. They, they say that we have scripture and we have tradition and then their authority is above both to distinguish which one is to be picked. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible says is the scriptures are above us all. Above us all, above everybody. So they were Romish in that way. They, they had their own ideas and their own ideas they actually placed above the word of God. Blasphemy, of course. And because they were pharisaical and legalistic, as I mentioned, they were self-righteous. They were self-righteous because they didn't need the righteousness of Christ. And they wouldn't have the self-righteousness of Christ. Because of pride. Pride in what they had done, in what they had achieved, in what they thought of themselves, in maybe what other people thought of them. And we did see then that they were moved with envy, that they were certainly emotionally driven. Emotionally driven. Their feelings also trumped the word of the Lord. Emotions, of course, are given by God, but also is the spirit of self-control. It's a fruit of the spirit to have self-control. So the emotions do not run you, but you run your emotions. But these were emotional. Here is, not, here is not a group of people who disagreed on a theological basis and they had a discussion and they sat down and they had a fair debate. None of this. None of this. There's not even an indication that they went up to Paul and, and, and wanted to discuss these matters with them. No. The Jews which believed not moved with envy and did the rest of verse 5. And well continued, as we will see shortly. It is, we could say, an anti-Christian attitude. It's an anti-Christian attitude. And why do I say that? Well, if you reject the Christian scriptures and you reject the Christian ministry, that is not for Christ, that's against Christ. They were ignoble Thessalonians, in contrast with the noble Brains. Firstly, then, their attitude towards God's Word, we've seen, and we've mentioned it, but we'll look in a little bit more detail. Their attitude towards God's servant. And it is because of the Bereans' willingness to receive the Word of God that they also willingly receive the servant of God. One is connected to the other. If you don't accept the servant of God, then you tend to reject the Word of God. Now, who was the Paul, of Paul the Apostle to them? How much do they know about Paul the Apostle? Now there was a news, uh, there, was, there was something of a news uh, system, there was a postal system in, uh, in, in the Roman Empire, but not all news spread everywhere. We know that when Paul finally got to Rome, he was surprised that all the slander uh, and the death threats and everything that was against him in Jerusalem and in, in, uh, in Antioch and the, those places uh, in, the, in the near Middle East, that hadn't reached Rome. He presumed that it had but it hadn't so we can't always take it as read that that, that the things that the report of, of things that were happening in one end of the empire always reached the other end of the empire by any means even within amongst the believers and that's what the context was within the context of what the Jews had said against him the Jews in Rome had not heard it there may be other reasons for that more political reasons but they hadn't so who was Paul to them? Nowhere does it say how they... Uh, the, here was this Paul. It, it seems that the Thessalonians didn't know Paul, and if they did, it's not mentioned that they knew of him already, and that was the reason why they were rejected. Now The, the preaching came to, to the Thessalonians there in northern Greece, and it came to them. Well, the same is with the Bereans. So for neither the Bereans nor the Thessalonians, as it were, Paul was not of any importance to them. Is it possible that the Bereans had heard something that the happened in Thessalonica? If they had, they were noble and listened to the word, received the word and received the ministry, and didn't reject it out of hand if they had heard anything, but that is not mentioned here. But Paul, when he comes to them, he doesn't come to them as a man of renown, as a Pharisee of the Pharisees, as he was known of in Jerusalem. But he's also a man that didn't come to them abounding with gifts, with spiritual gifts, with preaching gifts. And, and there are many places in the Scriptures of the New Testament, in Paul's own letters, First and Second Corinthians, there's a number of places. Galatians, a number of texts, and in Philippians, plenty of people who despised him and his ministry. And he's honest. He says, there's plenty of things to despise my ministry about. Not that he was unfaithful, not that he was untruthful, not that he wasn't zealous, but because he lacked those gifts that people had expected him to have. If you would open up your scriptures to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we we'll just take one of those passages... 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And the first five verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. His preaching was simple, and it was biblical. It went to the core and heart of the matter, Christ and him crucified. And yet we do know that he preached all the counsel of God, which means that Paul did not have hobby horses, that he tried to preach from every verse and every text as much as he could when he was with them, that they would receive all the counsel of God. And he was not confident in the ministry, he says. He says he was there with weakness, fear, and trembling. And so his, uh, his, um, his speech itself, but also his ability as a preacher, in a number of places, and again, we're not opening them all up, his ability as a preacher and his preaching style was not that which impressed anybody. But he was faithful to preaching the Word of God purely. And in that, the power of the Spirit of God goes forth to convict, even to judge. And to feed. That is the most important thing that we understand. It wasn't to do with his ability and his charisma, his rhetorical flair, his, his clever use of language, his manifold use of illustrations, none of it. And if the Lord grants those things, that's fine. But that's not the heart of it. It's that the heart of it is that the word is purely and faithfully preached. And that's what Paul did. And many despised him because of it. Interestingly, when Paul writes to Timothy in Second Timothy, chapter three, and, he, and chapter um, chapter two, sorry, and, and he talks about the marks of a minister, the marks of, of of an elder, teaching elder, he concentrates almost all of his all of his comments on a godly character, a godly character. And then he also talks an extension of that godly character, that it, that it is that his household is a godly character and a man-led household. And he makes only one comment about ability. 2 Timothy 2 and verse 24. And the servant of the Lord must not strive against character and be gentle unto all men again character, apt to teach. That's it. That's the one, one comment that he makes there. Apt meaning... Fitting, suitable, having the ability to teach, apt to teach. And so we see that the ability and the skill to teach is the foremost skill of a minister. And that well describes an important aspect. It's not the whole of the preaching ministry, but it's an important aspect of the preaching ministry to be apt to teach. The Bible pairs these two together, teaching and preaching. The Lord himself, uh, we see in Matthew 11, he, he, it, it says about him, Matthew 11 and verse 1, And it came to pass, when Jesus had made an end of commanding his twelve disciples, he departed thence to teach and to preach in their cities. It doesn't just say the preaching and understand teaching. It doesn't just say teaching and leave out the preaching. But they're both fundamental aspects of a gospel ministry. You say, well, that was for the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I've got a quote from the Apostles. Acts 5 and verse 42, and it says this in the early days of the church, And daily in the temple and in every house they ceased not to teach and preach Christ Jesus. And the the apostles, of course, are the great example for all gospel ministers. And so in spite of Paul's uh, teaching and preaching, his style and, and his inability that he's very clear about, in fact he boasts almost in his own personal inability. He hasn't got the charisma in the pulpit he doesn't, he doesn't entice people with, 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 with clever words. He's not an orator. He's not a pulpiteer, we might say. He, he glories in the fact that he just comes and he just teaches and preaches Christ, and all the glory, therefore, goes to God. Which is a very different attitude to how many people despised him. Well, he doesn't preach like such and such. He hasn't got the ability, and, and I don't like the way he talks, and I don't like this, that, and the other... Paul said, yeah, and? how The simpler and the baser, the better, in a correct way. Give all the glory to the Spirit of God. And so in spite of his own inabilities, in spite of of, of those failings that he had and, and who has them not, the Bereans accepted him and his ministry, They obeyed the word of the apostle, and they loved the Lord's servant. They had that attitude, that that right mind towards Paul. And they received the word with all readiness of mind, and searched the Scriptures daily whether those things were so. But the Thessalonians, they were a different breed. We could say they were a tougher breed. They were harder, they were less gracious. And we've already examined some of those things that could be accused of them. So we've seen in verse 5 already those that rejected min- the, the, uh, the ministry of Paul and the Word of God. But that continues all the way to verse 9 when they take the whole city in uproar and they make false accusations uh, against, the, uh, against the gospel and against all of these, these matters. Doing their best to destroy the gospel ministry. And that continues up, but even, say, even when we see that after the apostle had left Thessalonica and he'd gone to Berea and he was there for a time, that they continued their opposition. And we'll see that in the last point when we consider verse 13. But we could say, what was their attitude? What was their attitude to the minister of God? Well, it was anarchistic. It was anarchistic. It was rebellious against the God-given authority that the apostle was personally given. And it was seditious. It despised... His ministry. It undermined His ministry. Anarchistic and seditious. Because they did not take the word. They did not receive the word. And therefore, maybe as an excuse, they did not receive the servant of the Lord. Rejecting both the word and the servant... So their attitude toward God's word, their attitude towards God's servant, and thirdly, their attitude towards God's people. Again, we come back to the noble example of the Bereans. The Bereans were a good example. And that example, it clearly brought forth fruit in their congregation and in their city. You can't expect dissension within the congregation and a great fruit and blessing within the city. One has an effect upon the other. We are, you say, there are not very many gospel preaching uh, congregations in the city. No, but where they are well salted and well lit, uh, they light and salt the whole of the city. But you do not see that in Thessalonica. You see a city that is in uh, uproar by the dissension and by the rebellion of those believers that neither receive the word nor receive the Lord's servant. But in Berea, it's very different. And we see that in verse 12, Therefore, because of their attitude, therefore many of them believed also of honorable women, which were Greeks, and of men not a few. So we see, therefore, that humble receiving of the word and that God-fearing acceptance of the Lord's servant brings what? It brings a gospel blessing upon the congregation. It brings a fruitful blessing. Blessing upon the congregation. That as among the Jews to whom the congregation belonged, those who had been there for a long time, but then those newcomers, those those Greek proselytes that had come in, they, many, came to faith. It was, it was, as it were, a good, a good environment. A, 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 so we say a gospel incubator. It, there was a warmth of love. There was a warmth of acceptance. There, there was a humility to receive the word. And, and in that, the Lord granted his blessing. Because there was unity. Unity of good behavior. Unity of a good example. Whereby the mature believers could teach the younger believers, this is how we react. This is how we behave. They could be gracious, they could be mature, they could be ripe in, in, in saintly behavior. That was Berea, but Thessalonica was not like that. Thessal- the Thessalonians, or at least their worst en- elements, did not care about the unity of the congregation under the Word of God and under the servant of God. We see that they rejected the word of God and they backbited against the Lord's servants. In fact, they turned the whole city, not just the congregation, but the whole city against the gospel ministry of Paul. They did not believe and they did not want anyone else to believe. They were filled with envy and they lied and they spread dissension within the congregation. And that spilled over into the city. But verse 13 shows us how that spiritual cancer spread even 40 miles from Thessalonica to Berea. See verse 13, but when the Jews of Thessalonica had knowledge that the word of God was preached of Paul at Berea, they came thither also and stirred up the people. They stirred up the people of Berea against Paul. So the people in Berea We're not fellow believers with them. They didn't come to the congregation and say, Oh, so we did not understand his word, we did not believe his word, but but you have. Why is that? To them, the believers, for the Thessalonians, the rebellious Thessalonians, to those in Berea who had believed the word and and trusted uh, the ministry, they were merely political pawns to be manipulated and used. Not fellow believers. No questioning, no hum, hum, humble questioning of how did you understand it then? And certainly they did not put themselves under the authority of the Word of God. And even though we've already seen, and, and the Word describes it very clearly, that these Bereans were noble believers and we have, that, we have that glorious title and we should all desire to have that title attributed to us by God. They were humble recipients of the Word and of the ministry and yet they were not immune to the wicked. Uh, undermining influence of the Thessalonians. They were not immune to it. Noble but not immune. And therefore the noble Bereans among you must be on your guard for the Thessalonians. Because if the noble Bereans can succumb to the undermining and the lies and the deceit, so can you. not be swift to walk with the multitude to sin. And no doubt the Thessalonians may have thought that they were doing the will of God in some way. The Lord Jesus Christ makes that very clear, that there will come a day. John 16 and verse 2, he says that they shall put you out of the synagogues, yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think that he doeth God's service. But it was not the will of God that the Thessalonians would reject the ministry of the Apostle and reject the gospel. It wasn't God's will. And it wasn't uh, God's will that they then go to the congregation in Berea and undermine the ministry there and turn other people against uh, the ministry of the Word of God. It's bad enough that they had that bad attitude, but then they would spread it to other people. It's not the will of God, and how can you say that? Easily, because it's not the revealed will of God. The Thessalonians had no scriptural warrant for any such behaviour at all. On the contrary, if they had bothered to study the Scriptures and be students of the Bible like the Bereans were, then they would know that there is rebuke upon rebuke and warning upon warning for such carnal attitudes and carnal behaviour. But they did not fear the Word of God. They did not fear God. They did not believe God. By their fruit you shall know them. Even though when Paul was in Thessalonica, he'd spent three Lord's Days, three Jewish Sabbaths I should say, uh, going over the doctrine of Christ, going over salvation, going over the gospel to them to make it very clear that that Jesus that that was nailed to that cross in Jerusalem those years ago, he is the Messiah that has been preached to them in the scriptures of the Old Testament. And so the word of God was clearly opened up to them. He opened it up and he alleged to them. He made it very clear that Christ must needs have suffered, etc. But it was also this that Paul did not preach error because every time he came to them with a doctrine, he opened and alleged the, from the scriptures. But they didn't discern, they didn't use the scriptures to see if they were right or he was right. But the scriptures of the Old Testament clear, uh, teach very clearly that we are to be good Bereans. Isaiah 8 and verse 20 gives us that, uh, that truth. It's elsewhere we could go into. To the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. Now the Bereans did that, but the Thessalonians didn't. The Brains did so, and they were fed, and they believed. They received the gospel, they received the minister, they received Christ. But the Thessalonians did not do so. They didn't use biblical discernment. They weren't asking themselves, like the Bereans did, is this so? And certainly didn't use the Scriptures to correct themselves and their reaction. For they reacted carnally, emotionally, and rebelliously. But the noble believer is not to be so. Paul writes, when he writes to the Hebrews, he says in Hebrews 13 and verse 7, in that attitude towards the word and to the minister, he says, remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. And again, later on in the chapter, saying something quite similar, he says, obey them, and this is verse 17 of Hebrews 13, obey them that have the rule over you, And submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. It's unprofitable if you would be a Thessalonian. So the contrary is understood, it's a blessing if you are to be a Berean. And so the word of Christ, as we've just seen in Hebrews 13 and verse 17, is submit yourselves to my word, submit yourselves to my servant. Because of this, rebellion in either or both of those is rebellion against Christ, either against Christ's word or against Christ's servant. And I would suggest to you if that's the case in both of them, a rebellion against his word and a a rebellion against his servant, then I think the name of Christian is misapplied. We have the honour and the privilege to wear the name of Christ because we are his, not because we say so, but because we fear his word. And you submit yourselves to the ministry with discernment, according to the Scriptures only. So in closing then... Let us say this, as we've measured it by the Berean standard, that a believer's true spirituality is is measured not by what others say, what you feel or think, but by these three things. The receipt of the Word of God, and that's an attitude. Respect to the Lord's servant, and that is a heart's attitude. And behavior, your behavior to the Lord's people. And the commendation of God rests upon those that do so. That he would call, that God himself would say that you're noble. And we should be noble. Because if we declare ourselves by grace to be the children of the king of the universe, then we are to act in a royal and a noble way. Not to live in darkness and, 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 and secrecy and, 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 and gossip and, 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 and the hidden things. But to walk as children of light and walk in the light. And so the question of the title then therefore still remains, are you a noble Christian? Are you a noble Christian? The answer is you should be. It should be a prayerful striving to be a noble Christian. You may notice that you have Thessalonian attitudes and habits within you and that you're less than noble. Well, therefore you must repent and you must seek God's help to become noble. A noble Berean. You must seek it from him because against him you've sinned. Lest the ministry of the gospel be not profitable for you. And it may be that you've thought to yourself the ministry is not profitable. It's not profitable. Well, Hebrews 13 and verse 7 makes that very clear. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves. For they that watch for your souls, as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. Hebrews 13 and verse 17. There's a warning in there. Strict warning. Earnest warning. Lest the ministry of the gospel become unprofitable for you. Why? Because God will harden your heart that you've already hardened. Maybe even to the woeful extent of you rejecting him and him rejecting you. Because you've rejected the authority of the word of God. And even when you edit the word of God or you decide I'm not going to apply that to myself or I'll concentrate on this as I judge somebody else, you have rejected the word of God. It means there is no fear of God before your eyes. And therefore the word of God is unprofitable for you. Do you remember this? You cannot mock God. You can't mock him successfully and get away with it in the long run. Because he that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. Let us realize we're dealing with a divine and eternal king. Let us bow the neck and bow the knee before him at all times and in all places, to the glory of Christ. Amen. Let us pray. We thank thee, Lord, for thy word. It is a word, O oh God, that we should know and understand and fear. So often we do not. We stand in judgment over the word and over the ministry. And are declared to be ignoble, dishonourable. And indeed the full fruits would be not Christian. I do pray, O God, that thou would be pleased to grant us thy fear. We do not fear thee half enough as we should. And the flesh despises all things of God. Is at enmity with the Spirit of God? And that envy is not a holy envy that we saw in the Thessalonians. But is found to be God-rejecting. Impress thy word upon us that it may bear fruit, that we may know that we have the commendation of God, that we are noble believers, striving, To receive the word of God and the minister of God and the people of God. That our hands would not be stained with sin against thee, God, or against the servant thou hast called, and against thy people who have been washed and paid for by the blood of Jesus. Take a dealing with us all, O God, that Christ will be glorified, that we will be Bereans and repent of a Thessalonian attitude. But we will not be convicted. We will not turn away from these things because the flesh and the pride is so great. And therefore come by the power of thy Spirit and deal thou with us. To the glory of Jesus Christ we pray for the extension of his kingdom, for the edification of this congregation.